Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again today is Glenn West. Glenn, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Just trying to catch up on some sleep from Hattiesburg, but it was uh, it was a fun, entertaining weekend and excited to talk some baseball and some some football and touch on a little recruiting as well. Yeah, it's full off-season mode right now, man. Yes. Full off-season. June 8th. It doesn't get much more off-season than that. I mean, especially when baseball is done, so... Happy Warren Morris Day to all the LSU fans out there who know that this was the this was the day that Warren Morris had his walk off in the College World Series. So you can go about your day, uh, you know, giving some giving some thanks to Warren Morris for that iconic moment. Yeah, anything good happens, just say thank you, Warren. Yes, there you go. Um, but yeah, it was uh, not as happy as a, a, for a, of a weekend for LSU baseball. Despite getting off to a 2-0 start, beating Kennesaw State, beating Southern, Southern Miss in two pretty improbable wins, you know, coming back in the eighth inning against Kennesaw State, State to score 10 runs, coming back in the ninth inning against Miss, uh, Southern Miss to win the game in the 10th. Um, and then, you know, only had to beat Southern Miss once on Sunday night or on Monday afternoon. Couldn't get it done, lose 8-4, to then 8-7. to um, really tough ending to the season for LSU in the year 40 and 22 overall, 17 and 13 in conference, which um, was fourth. And with all that being said, it was still, you know, some people think, I mean, some people think it was a disappointment. Some people don't. I mean, obviously you win the first two games, you expect to get out, but it's not how always how it works. Uh, Glenn, just what it, what did you think of the regional? Uh, we'll start with the regional first and then get to like big picture. Yeah, so I mean, context is everything, and I think from the regional, you know, just perspective, LSU was really playing with fire all weekend. I mean, you saw it in those first two games. It really took two hellacious comebacks in those first two games for them to have a chance. Um, you know that because you know, quite honestly, and Jay Johnson mentioned it in the post game on Monday. Their their pitching really let them down this weekend, and I think uh, that was kind of of a, a consistent theme all weekend. Uh, starting with that Kennesaw State game, you know, you're down 11 to four heading into the eighth inning and it takes, you know, a 10 run just master class performance from the offense to really get you back into that one. And then obviously the next night you're, you know, down six to two and in, in, against Southern Miss and a very good pitching staff. And, you know, your offense is able to kind of show some mental toughness there and get them back into that that game and ultimately win an extra inning. So, um, you know, just from those first two games, I think the the big takeaway was just, you know, offensively they showed a lot of growth, a lot of maturity from earlier this year. Um, I think there was some 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 great moments. You saw Kate Doty, uh, Dylan Cruz, Josh Pearson all have really nice nights in those first couple of first couple of games. And um, you know, kind of you know, transitioning into those last two games, you really needed your pitching staff to step up. Um, obviously you were going to be low on numbers, but this was also a staff that, you know, had relied heavily on its bullpen all season. I think one of the big things, you know, LSU has kind of taken away from this year is that, man, they need some traditional starters. They need, they need a rotation of guys that they can really rely on in that starting group because 
Um, you know, you, you kind of saw it, you know, as guys like Riley Cooper got extended, Devin Fontenot got extended a little bit. Uh, they kind of ran out of gas. And I think, you know, you Paul Gervais had to pitch those first two games at the end there in very high emotional situations. And then come, you know, Monday, he was just not not himself. He wasn't the, you know, prototypical guy who can get you, you know, three quick outs. And, you know, he really struggled there in that that Monday performance as the as Southern Miss really kind of built up their lead. And, you know, just kind of jotted down some stats, you know, from the weekend. You know, he issued 17 walks throughout the weekend. Um, you know, they, they had some really high scoring innings in those last two games, which really hurt them. You know, they scored Southern Miss scored three in the sixth and on, on, on Sunday night, and they scored four in the seventh on Monday afternoon. And the, the big thing that we've kind of really talked about all season is, you know, you, you, you got to limit the big innings as much as possible. And, um, you know, LSU's pitching just wasn't able to, to do that and uh, really hurt them and, and obviously helped lead to this kind of result. And, you know, just one other thing that I kind of noticed was that only two pitchers really got through three innings throughout the entire weekend. So, he had Devin Fontenot's 3.1 innings on uh, Friday night in that opener against Kennesaw State, which really helped them stay in that game or kind of keep the bleeding from getting yeah. over overblown, <laughs> yeah. getting it even worse. But and then you had Ty Floyd the next day go six innings, and that was it. I mean, that was the those were the two guys that got you some extended outings. Everybody else couldn't get out of the third or couldn't get you through three or you know three or four innings. It was just a it had to be an accumulative effort, and it just wasn't something this this pitching staff was able to do. Yeah, the thing for me was, you look at it; they used four, four, six, and seven pitchers in in all the games. And right. while that's not, you know, terribly uncommon for winner go home games, the one pitcher this year that had been consistent was Mikael Hilliard for the most part, right? And right. so Friday to only get. 2.2 out of two two out i mean not even three three innings out of him that was like okay this is a little concerning obviously they had the heroic comeback but in theory probably should have lost that game and then you go into the sudden miss at the end you have mikhail hilliard on the mound you're like okay is this where it kind of separates itself and you're like this is where mikhail hilliard who had done so well throughout the conference season just on fridays can he give them one more outing and while i don't I don't think he was bad. I mean, two earned runs, five hits in three full innings. It was obviously a short leash because of the situation they were in. And then you get to the the bullpen. And while for a lot of the season, I did a story early in the year about how the ERA of the team was was low. You know, I think it was top 20 in the country around there. And so it but it just never felt like and I obviously defer to you in, in these in, in baseball conversations, but just it felt like yeah, this is this can work. This can work in theory, but it just you don't want to lean on it, you know. And there were times where throughout this weekend you're like, not not because the lineup wasn't wasn't producing because it was, but it's just like if the starter can't produce, especially if Mikhail Hillier can't produce, you can't lean on him this much. Is that is that fair? No, I, I think that's absolutely fair. And I think it kind of really put LSU in a little bit of a hole when, you know, Mikhail, I think you, know, you kind of walk into Friday night hoping Mikhail can get you through seven, you know, against yeah. a team like Kennesaw State. And so, to set it up. yeah, just to set it up for the weekend to kind of get a little bit more of your, 
your arms just some added rest or some added just less stress you know in that in that kind of a game and and you know look they they obviously weren't able to do that I thought Mikhail pitched really well on Monday um, there was a lot of you know Twitter going back and forth on whether or not you know they should have pulled him right there when he gave up that leadoff single in the third but um, you know, or, or I can't remember the fourth, maybe I can't even remember, but um, you know, he, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of went to an early hook on him. I think he got through about 60 pitches and, you know, I think that was probably the plan coming in, just, you know, get them off to a fast start, which is something he was able to do. Um, but, you know, look, I mean, I think they put a lot of stress on their arms earlier in the weekend and you could tell that, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, hadn't really pitched in a lot of those high leverage situations before. I mean, you, Really think about it, you know, Fontenot, uh, Ty Floyd, and McHale were really the only ones who pitched significant outings last year in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and then you had Riley Cooper coming over from Arizona. You had uh, Bryce Collins coming over from Arizona. So that's five right there. Um, and of those of those five, I mean, who, who kind of stood out? You know, I mean, Fontenot had that really nice night on, on Friday, but – um, you know, you kind of really needed that experience, I think, to kind of show their hand a little bit. And, um, you know, it, they just weren't able to get it done. And it was just, um, you know, I think it was just a common theme throughout the season. You know, you like you said, you know, you had to you put a lot of stress on these guys, you know, just to, to kind of get you through the end of games. And I think a lot of that had kind of accumulated heading into the postseason. You, you saw it at times in the SEC tournament, even where, you know, the, the staff just couldn't really quite get that last out. You saw it against Kentucky. You saw it um, in, in their loss earlier in the tournament as well. So um, it was just, uh, you know, I think just a, a big learning lesson for Jay Johnson and, and something he really kind of relayed to us was, man, we, we can't, can't go into next year like this with the pitching staff. You know, I think they're, you know, we'll get into the future here in a minute, but there's going to be some serious change coming to this staff. And I think it's, you know, deservedly so. Yeah. Um, real quick, before we move on, we got to talk about the the lineup real quick. The, oh, yeah. the hitters, uh, obviously, they scored 32 runs in a regional. That's pretty good, unless if you're that Oklahoma State, Arkansas regional that had like a thousand runs. But uh, um, 32 runs in a regional, pretty good. Uh, just what do you think overall of of the bats and and how they produced? Yeah, I mean, look, offense was the highlight of the weekend. I thought. You know, time and time again, they came through in the clutch, and and that was really, really important to see because um, it was something you hadn't, you know, it, you'd seen on and off really throughout the season, and you were wondering if it was going to translate into the postseason, and it really did. I mean, look, the uh, I, I'll never forget where where I was sitting, you know, getting to watch those first two games and kind of having my game story written, you know, in the eighth inning, ninth inning range, and really just having to shift gears and and just really completely you know, scratch everything and kind of write, you know, a, a different story because the offense just came through, you know, down the stretch. And, um, you know, I thought, you know, they, they, they showed great poise. Like I said, I thought Cruz had a really nice weekend. Uh, Doty was just, you know, coming off that shoulder injury was just amazing. He had three home runs, I think this weekend, and all of them were huge. I mean, that one on, on Friday, they cut it to six, five in the ninth inning against Southern Miss, um, or, or that was Saturday. I can't. All these games are jumbling yeah, together. Yes. Yeah. Saturday, he had the two-run homer, and that was really the moment where I think it clicked for the offense there, where they thought they could get back into that game. Um, and and you know, look, I thought Josh Pearson, the freshman, had a really nice nice weekend. Uh, Trey Morgan came up with some clutch hits. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and 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 look, I thought it was a really solid weekend at the plate. I think they they did what they were supposed to do at the plate, um, even getting themselves back into that game in the eighth inning with the you know the Dugas home run on Monday. Just clutch, Gavin Dugas. I mean, that's what we saw all last year from him. And you know, it was a shame that we weren't able to see that more this year because of the injury. But um, you know, he he's somebody that I think they they hope to get back next year because of that injury, which would be huge. Um, but you know they 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 came in with the clutch swings when they needed them most, and um, you know weren't you weren't able to to cap it off on the ninth inning on on Monday. But you know I think there is enough of a sample size there to lead you to believe that this is a an on offense and a, and a program that's really going to be built on how they swing the bats moving forward. Yeah, I mean let's 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 talk about the future. But after this year, like I said, forty and twenty two overall. Um, you know, one inning away from us hosting a super regional. At this point, um, do you feel like Jay Johnson's first season, just what were your overall thoughts? Do you feel like this kind of sets the floor for them moving forward? I think so. I think it's the absolute bottom of the floor, to be honest with you. I think, you know, the the expectations in, in Baton Rouge, you know, are, are always Omaha now. I mean, that's just kind of the the mindset that the Skip Burtman era kind of put into the minds of LSU fans and, and Paul Maneri did a nice job of carrying it on. You know, I think they reached Omaha seven or eight times under Maneri or, you know, maybe five or six, I can't remember exactly, but um, you know, they, they did a nice job during his era of really carrying that baton and, and giving themselves enough cracks at championships. And, you know, I think what we're learning now is that college baseball is really becoming uh, just more national. I mean, there's just teams all over the country that can come in and, and kind of wow you. I mean, I, I was really shocked by Kennesaw State's bats, you know, on Friday night. I thought they were tremendous. And, you know, I mean, that's a Upper East team. I mean, that's a North. And then they North almost East beat team. Southern Myths in, yeah. in that, in that yeah. elimination game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, there's always going to be those teams now that are going to give you some trouble with the big guys. And so I think that, that makes for a really competitive, you know, kind of uh, sport moving forward, which is really exciting. And, um, but, you know, look, I think the, you know, just in terms of the, the future of this program, that's going to be the floor. I mean, you got to be able to get to a regional um, in any way you can. And I think really the the kind of the, the floor moving forward is being able to host. I mean, they haven't hosted in quite a few years now. They haven't hosted since, um, I think, 2019, um, which is now three years. And, um, you know, just obviously they had the COVID year and everything. Yeah. But, but, you know, you still – it's Baton Rouge. That's a venue that is set up to host. And so, um, you know, you, you want to have good seasons and, and be able to, you know, play in front of your fans. And I know that, you know, they got to 17 wins. I think that you, you were kind of on that bubble this year of being able to host. You were really close. And so – um, you know, I think that just kind of sets a, a benchmark for what you need to do every season moving forward here. And, um, you know, I think there's 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 obviously a lot to, to really kind of dig into. But, you know, I think we're LSU's really set up and, you know, in a good spot here to to really improve and, and, and get get some good guys on campus next season and and make another crack at it. Yeah, you definitely get you definitely get that feeling from Jay Johnson. Yeah. Um, last thing I'll I'll we can touch on real quick. Five of what is it? There's five SEC teams in the super regionals. I'm looking at it right now. I believe Tennessee, so. Um, the Texas A&M, um, Ole Miss is in there, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Auburn. Yeah, and then obviously you have Texas and OU in here, who some people already claim as SEC teams, but yeah. um, yeah, I mean, that so I mean, I, I say that because the SEC is going to continue to be a 
baseball, I mean, just a powerhouse here, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. it, the standards are going to continue to rise. And as even if and as we expect LSU to improve, the rest of the conference will continue to be this um, at that level. So um, I, I'm just I, I look at it from that perspective as it's kind of similar to basketball in a sense, right? Where it's like, all right, you know, you, you can be good, but you can't just be good in, in the SEC because you'll finish right. fourth, fifth, sixth, yeah. seventh, eighth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important, you know, to, to bring in some really talented guys. You know, they have a they're bringing in the number one recruiting class in the country. I think, you know, there's there's a lot of optimism that a lot of those guys are going to get to campus. You know, um, just just reading through some reports and everything, it looks like, you know, of the 13 pitchers signed um, as many as nine are going to show up to campus next year, um, which which is a lot of arms. That's a lot of high level arms that you're going to be bringing in. Um you know, uh, you obviously got some some infield work to do. I think with with Kay Doty and Jacob Barry potentially moving on. Um, I would expect Barry and Doty to, to both be, you know, first second round picks this year, which you know would probably mean they're 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 not going to be a part of the program next year. Which means you could dip into the transfer portal, or you could certainly hope to fill those spots with some some incoming freshmen. I know they're very high on a couple of their incoming freshmen guys like Gavin Gidry, who's Louisiana Player of the Year, and uh, Mikey Romero, who's a, a really talented uh, infielder as well, uh, somebody they think can come in and play pretty immediately if he decides to come to school. Um, so, yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of a lot of maneuvering, I think, with this roster. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see which of the guys stick around. I think, obviously, your Cruises, your your Morgans, and your Pearsons are – are, are pretty uh, pretty locked in for next year at starters, but there's still going to be some some deciding to do with the positional players, and uh, there's a lot of veterans, you know, who who obviously didn't have a a great season or didn't have a lot of opportunity. Guys like Giovanni DiGiacomo, uh, Drew Bianco, uh, guys who have been around the program for a while, who you know might be advised to hit the portal, might might you know just to say you know hey you know baseball's baseball and I can go play anywhere, so. Um, you know, that that's um, I think everything's on the table outside of kind of those, you know, those three or four players that you really expect to be stars next year for you. Real quick, uh, departures. You mentioned Doty. You mentioned Barry. Um, is there anybody else off the top, off the top of your head? Uh, well, I, so, I mean, uh, there's some seniors, guys like Fontenot, guys like Hilliard who who have to move on. Yeah. They, they serve their time here and I think they're going to be. You know, they'll be moving on to professional baseball somewhere. We'll see um, is how, how things fall in the draft. But those those are two that kind of come to mind offhand. Um, you know, I think there's going to be some decisions to make with the pitching staff just in terms of who you want to bring back from from this staff. Yeah. I think, you know, Jay Johnson obviously is very, very keen on, on Riley Cooper, very keen on Bryce Collins, guys he had with him at Arizona. Um, but there's going to be some decisions out there to make too for guys like Blake Money, for you know Ty Floyd. Do you bring Ty Floyd back with with all these new pitchers coming in? So there's going to be some interesting conversations to have, and um, we'll certainly learn a lot more about the futures of those guys in the next couple weeks. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, just going through the roster right now. Yeah, I mean, it's overall pretty pretty young roster. I mean, Tyler Mc, Tyler I mean, McManus, yeah, uh, senior, uh, but. Hell, there's a lot of freshmen, sophomores um, on yeah. here. I mean, look, lots of, you know, the red shirt, you know, the red shirt year really helped them. You know, I think, you know, they got a couple red shirt sophomores um, who technically could, I mean, technically Kay Doty could come back to school next year and still have that leverage 
uh, after next year with the with the MLB. But I think he's going to be such a high draft pick that it's 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 very unlikely that you'll see K Doty back. But yeah. you know, a guy like Jordan Thompson, where does he fit in in the future? Where does you know Alex Malazzo, the catcher who missed a good portion of this year, fit in with the future? Obviously, a tremendous defensive catcher, but was still working on the bat when he you know went out with that injury. So. Um, lots of decisions to make. Eric Reselman, another guy, redshirt sophomore. Um, does he does he come back to school? He obviously would have that extra year of, of eligibility uh, and that leverage, you know, to kind of play with the MLB next year. So yeah. uh, wouldn't be surprised if, if Reselman comes back and gives you a, a solid arm out of the bullpen. But uh, again, you know, these are all conversations that no doubt Jay Johnson is having with these players and should be, uh, you know, talked about here in the next you know, several weeks for sure. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's jump to football. Um, <laughs> I mentioned to you, I mentioned this off air before we started. And I was like, you know, I've been basically ta- talking quarterback for the past two months. Um, and so I feel like everybody knows my quarterback takes at this point. Um, I feel like it's very open. I feel like Jaden Daniels is still has a chance. I feel like Garrett Nussmeyer still has a chance. Um, but a lot of people want to um, say Miles Brennan is far and away the leader. I don't know if you if that's your take. But what what are your overall thoughts on the quarterback situation? Let let's talk through it. Yeah, I mean it, it's hard to say that any quarterback is far and away the leader. I think after spring, I mean they're. they're the way that they grade these quarterbacks, I think, is is very interesting, just because these quarterbacks do different things. And and a guy, and for a guy like Jaden Daniels, what you really saw in the spring uh, was a guy who was working on his mechanics, foot wise and and throwing wise. And so you really didn't see a whole lot of him throwing the ball. I mean, I remember talking with you and a bunch of the other media guys that, man, he can really run, but when are we going to see him actually, you know, kind of air it out a little bit more and. Um, you know, he's he's such a mobile athlete and such a really terrific athlete that he provides a unique you know skill set for this group. And if he gets those mechanics under wraps and uh, gets gets, you know, some more confidence, but throwing the ball in this this offense and uh, with with these uh, obviously dominant weapons they have around him, uh, he, he he certainly could could end up you know winning this job and uh, being a, a very prolific uh, SEC kind of unique player, I think, in this mm-hmm. conference next year. So. Um, definitely not out, definitely not out on Jaden Daniels. You just need to see more of it. Uh, I've been super impressed with Garrett Nussmeyer. I think his jump really in four or five months has been really incredible because the last time we saw him in a game against Arkansas, he looked like a true freshman. I mean, he looked like a guy that was trying to do a little too much, um, you know, at, at times trying to make the home run play whenever he could and um, not really settling for what the defense gave him. And I think that's just something that comes with experience and it comes with, you know, learning, you know, college defenses and how they operate. And so you know, I do think he 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 showed a lot of growth in, in, in spring. I thought he was really consistent um, in being able to find the open man. Uh, you, know, you want to talk about, you know, MVPs for the spring game. Uh, I yes. would say Nussmeyer was 
far and away the best quarterback in the spring game. Um, and he made some really nice throws and um, he's, he's really taken that year two leap that you would hope to see from a, from a young quarterback like him. Um, so yeah. I, I absolutely believe he's in this race as well as we head into the fall, but yeah, you know, I, I came away just really impressed with Miles Brennan. I mean, look, he's a guy who's battled, you know, injuries for two years in a row now, hasn't played in the game since 2020. And, um, you know, it doesn't really look like he hasn't been a quarterback that hadn't played in two years. I mean, he looked very confident. He looked very uh, composed back there for much of the spring that we got to see. I mean, we got to see, you know, two full practices, and that includes, you know, seven on seven, 11 on 11, and, um, you know, a lot of, you know, kind of individual drills with 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 receivers. And he looked very comfortable in those situations. And, um, I, I, if I had to peg a leader right now, I would say it was Brennan, um, just because he gives you that veteran presence. He gives you, I think you have, I think you know what you get from Brennan a little bit more than with the other two guys at this point. Um, but you know, like I said, this is going to be a three horse race well into the fall. Um, I, I wouldn't expect you get a starter name, maybe even until game week of the first week against Florida state. I mean, I think this is going to be one of those really tight, you know, quarterback battles and, it'll be very interesting to see how this all plays out. And so, I mean, that's just kind of where I am. Is that, you know, kind of, you know, your, your thought process heading into fall. It's, it's, it's really interesting. It's really complicated. Um, at least in my mind, because every time we went to camp or every time we went to the spring practices, it felt like Jane Daniels went out with the first team first, right? Yeah. It was like every, with the scrimmages we saw the little inner squad stuff where we couldn't have cameras out with nothing. It was Jaden Daniels was the first team quarterback, it felt like. So I was like, okay, obviously they bring him in. They want to get a good look at him. They, they've they seen him as a starter at Arizona State for a couple of years. So you want to see what you have here. I'm not saying Miles Brennan didn't get first team reps, but it was Daniels who went out first for the most part, right? And so then the spring game, Nussmeyer looked great, looked the best even, you'd say. Um, but Miles Brennan the whole time just felt like he was just steady, yeah. Just steady every practice, every game, you know, all that stuff. So I left it with saying there I've seen plenty of all three of these guys and I still can't discern. And I don't think the coaches coaching staff had discerned. At least that's what Brian Kelly said afterwards. The problem becomes for me, and I, I think I agree with you in that, like I, I I would have Brennan the leader at this point, just based on what we heard and we've seen, like if you put that together. But it's not by much. Like if I put like percentages on it or something like that, it would be like forty, like forty percent to like thirty percent to like twenty percent. Like I know that don't, that's only ninety percent, but that's about as good as I could do. Like that's how I would. Percent Walker well, Howard. Walker yeah, Howard. Oh yeah, there you go. Left. We'll, we'll give we'll give Walker some percentage in there. Yeah. Other other ten percent. There you go. Um. But I. So it's it's really close to me. The problem is, and I think I want to uh, real quickly get into what you said at the end there, is I don't think they have that much time to decide a leader, to decide a starting quarterback because of how different they are. And I've beat that drum throughout the, the offseason as well is with how different these guys are, you don't design your offense around Jaden Daniels the same way you designed it around Miles Brennan. And I know that's um, – been said before but it's really true and so i think there's a lot of pressure on this coaching staff to enter august with a pretty good idea and then say all right like let's say you know theoretically you enter the you enter fall camp and say all right nussmeyer you're not getting the starting job it's daniels or brennan and we're going to decide this within the first week and a half 
like by Thursday of week two, we're going to know. And so that way we have two full weeks, three two probably two and a half to three full weeks to prepare with this quarterback and to get everybody on the same page. I feel like that's the real only, the only real solution here. I don't think you can go into four days before the game and be like, well, you know, I think we'll see how we feel when we wake up on Sunday morning and right. uh, roll, roll there. It's just two different, yeah, offenses, three different offenses, really, if you throw Nussmeyer in there. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And just kind of to piggyback on what you said, you know, about, you know, Daniels getting the first team reps, a lot of the first team reps uh, this summer. I, what I noticed was when he got the first team reps, what what did we see him do a lot was just tuck the ball and run. Yeah. You know, we didn't see him throw the ball a lot. So you're absolutely right. I mean, look, they're going to need to construct this offense around the guy that they think will get them the most success. And I think the guy, what, what we've heard from, you know, from from Kelly, from Denbrock, from all the guys we've talked to within the offense, they they want they really want to. I know it's beating a you know horse over with a hammer, or whatever the, the saying is, but they want to get the ball into their playmakers' hands. And who's going to get them the ball in their playmakers' hands? And um, I think we're the jury is still out right now on Jaden if he can do that on a consistent basis. Well, the question is, do you can do they consider Jaden Daniels as one of those playmakers? And that's, then the then the ball is in, in his hands a lot. So then it's that's what I'm yeah. saying. It's just a completely different offense at that yeah. point. No, it's it's a completely different offense, but you, you do need to have that line of thinking is who who's the guy that's going to be able to get the ball into Keishon Butte's hands? Yeah. Who's going to get the ball in Jack Besh's hands and let these guys make your plays for you? And you know, if the answer is Jaden Daniels, then you I think you have to have a good sense of that probably prior to game week. I think you're right about that, just because I think his style of play is just so different than what you're going to be asking from Nussmeyer and Brennan. Um, not that Nussmeyer and Brennan can't run, but you're not going to devise an offense or construct an offense around those two guys running. You're going to construct an offense around those two guys being able to maybe extend plays with your feet, but also to get the ball down the field and into the receiver's hands. So um, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I, I see where you're coming from, from that perspective. And if it's going to be Daniels, I think it allows you, it forces you to make that decision a little bit quicker. Um, if it's not going to be Daniels, I think you can push it closer to game week because I do think the you know, the play styles of Nussmeyer and Brennan are are applicable. They're you know they're similar in terms of what you're going to be asking them to do. So um, you know that's I think you know look there's going to be so much conversation around this battle uh, for the next several months and uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun on our board on our community just getting good you know, feedback from, from what they think. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get out there for fall camp though. Did I ever tell you about the poll I ran after the spring game? No, I don't think With, so. Uh, so I asked who the starting quarterback was going to be for Florida state, like 30 minutes after the spring game. Yeah. And um, shockingly, shockingly enough, it wasn't us uh, at that point, but we got about, I don't know. What was it about 500 votes? No, it might've been more, but let's say, let's say about over 500 votes. And 77% went to Miles Brennan. Wow. 18% went to Garrett Nussmeyer. So then the other 5% went to um, Jaden Daniels. And yeah. so that kind of tells you where the fans are at. And that's where their head's at. It's like, it's got to be Brennan. It's got to be. And um, I do think a lot of that is because of those three games in the 2020 season where he was obviously 
I don't want to say he was great. He, I don't think he was he great. He was, he he was, was pretty good. good. He, was, he didn't he do was enough to win those those two games they lost. Like, they, yeah. they put up 34, 35 points in both of those games. Yeah. And Mississippi State just ran and threw. threw uh, Mississippi State threw, threw all, all over it. you. And then Missouri did the exact same thing two weeks yeah. later. So, um, you know, that, that, that was certainly yeah. not on the offense that they yeah. lost those two games. Yeah. So, anyways, that's an interesting – tip that I always go back to is that's I feel like where the fans are at at this point which I I can I can see uh, yeah. from a distance because uh, I mean we both have Brennan as the leader on our in our minds obviously not by 77 percent to 18 but you know still that process right. um you did a you did an interesting story we don't spend too long on this but an interesting story on um looking at the potential of the SEC moving to a nine game uh, conference schedule in the coming years and I don't know when this would uh, take place probably 24 25 whatever um, but with a nine game schedule it would rotate three or it would have three yearly games against the same three teams every year so I, what are they going uh, traditional tradition games or yeah so they I think they have you know three c- consistent games every year so three yeah. three common opponents every year yeah. that you'd play every single season and yeah. then rotate six with the other remaining, I guess, what? Would, when you add yeah. Texas and Oklahoma. A lot of teams. What is a it? lot of teams, yeah, a oh. lot. Um, but, yeah, so, so yeah. you rotate the rest, and so people are starting to think that that's probably where they're going to go. You know the rivalries. You know the, the feel of everything better than me. Obviously, adding Texas and Oklahoma changes things, but if you had to pick the three teams that you think are most likely – that LSU would be paired with in the coming years uh, out of these uh, other 15 teams, who do you think they would be? Okay. So there's the most likely, and then there's the, my opinion. And yeah. <laughs> most, the most likely that I could see is definitely Ole Miss. You got to have Ole Miss in there. That is a over 100 year rivalry that you just can't, you, you can't get rid of that game every yeah. year. That, that's one you got to have in there. Um, and then for me, Texas A&M and Alabama are the, three that I feel like are the most likely. I mean, Alabama, just from a revenue, just from what, you know, you're going to get from, you know, viewership every year, that's going to be a game that, that is really just one of the most watched games of the season. It happens every year. And, um, you know, we even, you know, in the last 10 years when LSU's only won once, it happens every year. I mean, it's just one of the most watched games ever. Um, But for me personally, I would want to flip out either A&M or Alabama with with Florida. I think the Florida matchup with LSU has become one of the more just just more entertaining ones in all of college football. I mean, it's very underrated. I think LSU Florida, you know, I did the math on it. I think only three three games in the last fifteen years have been decided by more than one possession. I mean, these this is a this is a series that comes down to the last possession, who gets the ball last, uh, who makes the plays in the end. Um, who has a kicker that maybe can kick a field goal um, like Cade York in the fog or, um, you know, it's uh, it, it's just such an entertaining matchup that I would have a hard time as a fan letting go of, um, you know, if I were, you know, just as an LSU fan, you know, just, just, just to let go of that game every year and only play it, you know, two or three, you know, two or three, every two or three years. I think that that would be a real shame for, for LSU fans. But, you know, again, every LSU fan has different opinions. I mean, a lot of them, Want to want to see Arkansas in there, or a couple of them want to see Arkansas in there every year because of the 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 boot, you know, the golden boot yeah. thing. But 
you know, I'm kind of of the opinion that, you know, hey, if you put, you know, if you have this golden boot, why not do that every two or three years and make it more of a prestige, you know, kind of thing, you know, to hold yeah. on to for, for a couple of years instead of, you know, a, a yearly kind of deal where it doesn't have as much value. I think playing that game every two or three years would be make a lot of sense. And so um, there's there's obviously a lot of differing opinions out there. We talked. Well, well, Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated actually reported that LSU is one of the teams that's very much on board with the nine the nine game you know schedule um, with the three rotating or the three constant yeah. teams in there. So we'll see. Um, I think there's still some division right there in the SEC of what what this schedule will look like moving forward with Texas and Oklahoma in the mix. But um, well, we'll certainly. It's something you're going to have to make a decision on sooner than later, I think, just because there's going to be some urgency, I think, for those two programs to get into the conference very, very soon. Yeah, no. Um, I pulled up a article today just to see, just to bounce ideas off, just to see what um, other places had as their projections, you know, of permanent of permanent matchups. Um, the, the little write-up it has for LSU is, it seems like LSU is everyone's rival. Could have easily, uh, could easily be Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, Alabama, Arkansas, and M. And I mean, I I agree. I feel like, and this I I might be misled on this. It feels like because LSU does have so many teams that it could potentially pair up with. Yeah, I feel like the SEC, in theory, just if I was putting it together, you just put all of the other teams first and then kind of see what's left in a sense. I know that sounds kind of bad, but you could easily be left with Alabama, Arkansas, a and Like you could easily yeah. be left with Ole Miss. I just think you might have to take care of like the – be like, okay, OU has to play Texas. Texas has to play A&M. So Texas has to play A&M and Oklahoma already. And then, you know, you kind of just go from there. You, there's like certain ones you have to have, obviously we know. And so with that being the case, once you – settle that then you can start looking at all right lsu and m makes a lot of sense there i would i would just love to get lsu fans perspective on potentially a missouri or vanderbilt uh kind of every year deal what what would be their thought process behind that because it's well hell what's the what's the thought process if you have alabama arkansas and m every year that's not that's not i mean that i mean obviously you expect lsu yes will be on their caliber every single year as far as AM, Arkansas, Alabama, or even if you swap out Arkansas for Ole Miss, you expect, like, even if there weren't these, you know, even if the schedule wasn't formatted this way, you'd still probably be in the same division or same pod with them. So it's not like you'd be avoiding them otherwise. But still, you get those three instead of an, a Missouri or a, or a Vanderbilt or like a South any Carolina. team that maybe isn't, yeah, South Carolina, one of those teams while you watch – you know, Georgia get South Carolina every year, obviously, or you watch uh, you know, other teams get easier schedule. Yeah, uh, it, it's just it's going to be really, really fascinating to see who they put LSU with for the permanent matchups and uh, if they are permanent or if it's like, oh, we'll reevaluate this in 10 years or eight years or yeah. however long. So no, that, that's something that I think could be discussed, too. Like you just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, OK, we'll have three permanent teams for 10 years. All right. And yeah. then we'll see, we'll kind of reevaluate next 10 years and see if we yeah. want to change things up. So I think you can change anything. I mean, if they're changing the schedule, you can certainly change who your permanent team is down the line. So yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, 
it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how all this kind of how it plays out. But um, I know we also kind of wanted to touch on one last thing. You you obviously got a chance to go to a couple of the recruiting camps, some offensive line, defensive line stuff uh, last weekend. Uh, just like to get your thoughts on some guys that stood out. Obviously, a lot of local guys obviously showed up, but any guys nationally that that might might have might have camped or that you were able to look at and then just kind of get a good good feel on. Yeah, as you know, um, this is my first camp for LSU right. um, because I moved here in August of last year. Uh, so it was a interesting experience for me. But uh, on Friday, it was the offensive line, O-line, D-line camp. Um, I thought a couple clear standouts, one who I did a story on with Charleston Collins, Charlie Collins for short. Uh, man, he was he was amazing. Uh, He's 2024. a 2024 guy, huh? Yeah, 2024. A lot of these were 2024s. Yeah. 2024 from Arkansas. Arkansas is already in on him heavy. Um, I, LSU offers, offered him. All the schools there offered him. Louisiana Tech, Southern, you go down the list. But, I mean, talking to him for the story afterwards, he he's, he visited Ole Miss. I think he has an yeah he has an offer from Ole Miss now. He'll go he'll be at Bama. He might be at Bama today. I think actually, uh, he's going everywhere in the country. He'll be at Missouri. You know, the weekend. It's like. He'll get he'll have offers from every single school. He'll be that type of player. So we'll see. It's still early, 24. But Charleston Collins was definitely a guy who stood out. Uh, got to see Brett Bordelin, uh, obviously Bo Bordelin's brother. And there he's the 2025. Um, he should be good in a couple years. You know, I don't like looking that far ahead, but you know, that that was a one who stood out. Ashton Funk from Katie Tompkins, uh, Texas, for those who don't know. Um, Brad Davis looked like he was very impressed with him. Um, then 2023, Tyler Johnson was someone who I wasn't overly impressed with, but you could tell the staff was trying to figure out quickly what he was capable of. So those are kind of the names, uh, from the O-line defense, O-line D-line camps. Um, make sure I didn't miss anybody. And then the skill position one on Sunday was like four times as many kids and it was outdoors instead of indoors, Glenn, which I know, you know, is, uh. Is a, a lot of fun just being out there. index, huh? Yeah, just being out there in the sun. Had to lather myself up in the sunscreen, so yep. uh, <laughs> walk around there. And so, uh, yeah. But Joe Sloan, I mean, the quarterbacks really were the main thing for me to focus on here. You had um, Michael Hawkins from Fris, uh, from Allen, rather, uh, Jaden Bradford, Cole Weaver. So there's a mixture of Texas and Louisiana guys. Uh, Maybury awesome. Matt, Matt, yeah. Matur- yeah, Matur was a guy they offered last year. I remember he was the guy that they came in for camp last year, and they offered him with the last coaching staff. So is, is he a guy that you think they're they're really they're really keen on too? I I think Sloan got a good look at him. I mean, he obviously has the physical upside, six foot five. You know, yeah. he threw the ball well in theory, but the top guys were obviously to me, and I think to the coaching staff because when they started, you know cutting down reps and giving them to the, the better players. Jaden Bradford was one um, who really stood out from IMG uh, in Florida. And then Michael Hawkins, like I said, from Allen a powerhouse in Texas. I think those were probably the top two. Cole Weaver, I thought was really good as, as well at 2024. All these are 2024s except for uh, no. Yeah. All of them are 2024s. All the ones I'll name Daniel Beal from uh, Catholic I thought had a pretty good day, even if he doesn't have a ton of uh, high major offers at this point. Uh, 2024, I think he could, you know, do well 
uh, he has Shelton Sampson on his team too. So yeah. that'll help. Um, but yeah, those those are the quarter the quarterbacks. Devon Mitchell t- at tight end, twenty twenty five from Allen. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be another one of those guys that just has offers from everywhere. He's gonna be a high four star guy at the very least. So um, yeah, those were most of the names um, defensively. You know, you had Wardell Mack, twenty twenty four, Ashton Stamps, twenty twenty three, uh, Jaden uh, Perlot Perlot. Um, I thought he had a had a really good day, twenty twenty five. Um, Dixon Nagu, who it surprised me. I watched him on camp. You know, there's there's those guys that stand out at camp, and you go and look them up. They might not have the offers that you expect or anything. Dixon Nagu, I thought was great. Um, not saying that there's anything. You know, he doesn't have the high major offers that I expected, though. You know, he go in there. He's got Louisiana Tech, Louisiana. He did pick up a Purdue offer. Um, I liked what I saw from Dixon Nagu from Dutchtown. Um. Kind of what I these games are for, too. I mean, you, you get out there and you play well and you, you perform well and coaches evaluate you and make you an offer. I mean, that's kind of how I think it works, you know, at this time of the year. So, yeah, that was um that was most of I'm trying to think running backs. Uh, we were trying to decipher who was who because it was just so many kids there. Uh, we <laughs> believe running back Jason Gabriel, pretty sure about Jason Gabriel um, at, at running back from Louisiana. So. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much the rundown of guys that stood out to me. Um, we put all that out like three, like four or five days ago, well, five days ago on Friday in VIP tidbits. And then on obviously Sunday VIP tidbits as well, but I don't mind sharing them now because they're like three, four or five days old. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll be all hands on deck this weekend. We got a seven on seven camp on, uh, on Friday that I think all three of us will be at me, Matt and Sonny will all be there. So, We'll have a lot more, a lot more content, a lot more stuff to be throwing at you guys for recruiting purposes over the next several days. And uh, of course, we'll be communicating as we get information on any football, baseball, basketball updates. Um, Matt, was there anything else you kind of wanted to add or kind of throw throw back at us or anything? No, um, no, we're still doing um, the basketball recruiting. I mean, just to real quick touch on basketball recruiting. Uh, I've been in contact with people and everything and uh it's been a weird time because there were there was a lot of staff who during the while they were putting the the class together and putting the team together they hadn't fully moved in yeah and so you had like once they finished the class there was like a week or so where they were like okay let's move into baton rouge like let's actually get comfortable here let's like actually finish the finish this yeah, so, having, having spoken with Matt McMahon, I think he was very much in that number. I think he was living in Airbnbs for a while, and yeah, I, they they obviously have a couple young kids. Uh, they're they're going to move in this summer, so yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So um, yeah, that, that's <laughs> well, um, let's get these guys situated before we 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 start looking at next year. So yeah, so then now they're looking at twenty threes and starting to figure all that out. There, the the EYBL circuit and all the tournaments AAU tournaments over the summer are going to be huge so they'll decipher all that but um but yeah i think that's all we have for y'all today uh we appreciate y'all joining us you can follow us on twitter at go 24 7 check out the site at go 24 7.com uh, become a subscriber if you're not already a dollar for the first month 30 percent off annual i believe we're running right now get access to our vip boards all the vip intel when it happens the day of and uh yeah you can follow us on twitter um you can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Bruni underscore. Follow Glenn on Twitter at GlennWest21. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you're not already. Leave us a like, comment, share, all that good stuff. 
leave us a five-star rating and review uh, if you're listening to the podcast. We appreciate you all for joining us, and we'll talk to you later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.